Welcome to the Kapow Radio Show. Today's date is Monday, December 24th. And if you're listening to this show rather than singing Deck the Halls with Balls of Jolly or whatever, you are hardcore, hardcore to the max. So we're going to continue in Josephus. The last few years, right before the final destruction of the Jewish temple and the city of Jerusalem and the fulfillment of many prophetical events, okay? The fulfillment of many prophecies by Christ and the prophets. Not all, but many. And it's important to understand, I think in this particular section here that I'm going to go through, starting in AD 64, which you have about six years before the final end, before the destruction, this particular period here, we're going to talk about how it all began to happen, how the the Jewish revolt actually started and why it started and uh, some of the people and names involved in it and what really happened there. And you're going to see some of the, the scriptures, some of the things that you're familiar with, the things that Jesus said, you're going to see that fulfillment come out in this. And it's pretty interesting. The other thing we're going to do is there's a couple of spiritual takeaways on it that we can apply to our Christianity. Things that um, the Jews were doing or didn't do and things that were said then that we can then apply to us as Christians, but it changes due to Christ. So there's some spiritual takeaways from these historical lessons that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, we do have Ms. Kapow with us. Say hello, Ms. Kapow. Hello. Hello. All right, so we're ready to get into this because there's a lot here and I don't want to blabble. So we're going to start in 8064. And the name you need to know here is a guy named Florus, Jesseus Florus. He's a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman. And he's a bad, bad Roman. Matter of fact, when I was reading about this guy, I'm not saying it's him, but he sounds very much like the beast in Revelation, or at least one of the beasts. He sounds very much like that. Um, when I say this term, don't get all nutted up. I'm not saying the Antichrist. He's an he is an Antichrist. He's an anti-God, but he's a um more importantly, he's just a very wicked, wicked guy. And you're gonna see that this Florence guy, the 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 Roman, uh he's a procure procurator over Jerusalem, a sign there that a lot of the revolt that happened was due to this guy because he was so, so evil, so wicked, all right? So, Jesseus Flores, so this is a very important name to know, Flor, Flores, Flores, F-L-O-R-U-S, Flores. So, he succeeded Albinus as procurator in AD 64, and he was so bad that he made the other guy seemed like a choir boy in comparison. Yeah, because Albinus, though he was evil, he was secretive about what he did. 
But Flores made no attempts to appear just. He just, he didn't think it was worth his while to just rob individuals. He, he robbed whole cities at once. He gave total freedom to any robber who split their profits with him. This, you know, this guy is like, think of your worst, worst nightmare as a politician. You know, uh, we've never, this guy's something else. Under Flores, entire toparchies were desolated. Um, A lot of people had to flee to other countries to get away from this guy. He was horrible. You know, he's a Roman and he's assigned over this area and Rome doesn't know what he's doing. He's just running amok and just totally out of control, totally greedy, total, just a total beast. Like in Revelation, just a total beast. Cestius Gallus, this guy is now president of Syria at the time. And although no one had dared complain to him about Florus before, now 3 million Jews, 3 million approached him. That's approaching Cestius Gallus, another Roman above Florus. He's the president of Syria. They approach him when he came down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And this is in AD 65. So remember, this is five years before the total destruction. And the Jews complained that Florus was destroying their country. Now, this Florus guy was present at the accusation. So he laughs at the charges. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. And Cestius, his boss, quieted the crowd down. He says, look it. I assure you that Floris is going to treat you more gently in the future. And uh, Floris assured Cestius he would mend his ways, right? Mm-hmm. So you're seeing the very beginnings of this turmoil here because of this Floris guy. In truth, Floris was afraid the Jews would bring charges against him before Caesar. At the time, the Caesar was Nero. Nero. And Nero was not a very nice guy, Right? So Floris is going, man, they're going to go straight up to the emperor at some point, and I'm going to be in big trouble because all of his illegal acts would come to light. So the only thing that could prevent that was an outright revolt of the Jews. So Floris knew this. So Floris, he at this point, now remember, this is AD 65, he formulates a plan to get the Jews to revolt. If the Jews could revolt against Rome, it would take all the heat off of him and his bad deeds and his robberies and his greed and ripping everything off and being such a, a beast, right? Mm. So this is his whole goal now in life, to get them to rebel. And this is important because as we understand the demise of the Jewish temple and the Jewish people in this day, the very things that Christ predicted, this guy was a huge catalyst to that. Huge catalyst. So Floris made the Jews' lives so miserable and so so bad more than ever. And he was hoping to reduce, to, you know, get them to rebel. So now in the year 66, AD 66, the Jewish revolt began. This is three years before the fall. Three years, this is the three-year Jewish war is what it's called. And they go to war, a revolt, I should say, against Rome, which was the ruler over the entire inhabitable 
world at the time. It'd be like um, you and your little city going against the United States military, thinking you're going to win. So it began in 66 in the city of Caesarea. This is where it all started. Now, this is after the Greeks were given control of the government by Nero. See, the Greeks were still very much involved in all of this. So Nero gives the Greeks control of the government in Caesarea. And the Jews of the city, they had a synagogue. They had a synagogue on on some property owned by a Caesarean Greek. And they offered to buy it from the Greek at many times its value. But this guy refused to sell it. And so he started to be build upon the land. Now, the leaders of the Caesarean Jews and a guy named John the Publican bribed Florus with eight talents to stop the work around the synagogue. So get, let's get this straight. There's some Jews that have a synagogue on Greek land. The guy won't sell them the land. So what they do is they bribe the corrupt governor, Florus, to stop the building. So what they do is no better. They, they bribe this corrupt politician, right? So what happens is Florus took the money and then he left for Sebaste and made it seem like he gave permission to the Jews to use force. <laughs> so remember, his whole goal is to start a, re- a revolution. The following day, the Jews went to the synagogue to worship. And then there was a man from Caesarea there, and he set an earthen vessel upside down in the entrance of the synagogue, and he sacrificed birds on it. Mm. And that was part of the Jewish ritual of cleansing a leper. And therefore, that insulted the Jews as a leprous people. That act was saying, you're leprous. Mm. The more moderate Jews urged going to the governors about the insult. You know, let's just take this, just do the legal thing. But the younger hotheads are now ready to fight. And then they also found more than uh, a couple willing hothead Greeks close at hand ready to fight. This is how it's all going to start. Now, there's an officer there in charge. His name is Jacundus. So he takes away the earthen vessel. He attempts to restore order, but he's not able to do so. And so the Jews collected all their books of the law and they retired to a place called Norbata. It's one of their villages about seven and a half miles from Caesarea. Mm-hmm. So John and 12 other Jewish leaders went to Flores in Sebais to ask for help. And they reminded him of the eight talents they had given him. In other words, they bribed him and had bought him off to do something. And guess what Flores did to them? He throws them in prison for removing the books of the law from Caesarea. Wow. Wow. So these Jewish leaders, um, did they do the right thing by bribing a crooked politician? To stop this uh, Greek guy or make him sell his land to them because they had the synagogue on the land? Mm-mm. No, you know, they, they were just as bad. So this is the kind of people you're dealing with throughout this whole narrative. And um, so this florist guy, 
<laughs> he's so evil, he, he takes the money and then he throws them in prison. So what's going on in Jerusalem at this time? So this is happening in Caesarea and now there's going to be a revolt there because people are, people are mad because Florus imprisoned John and the Jewish leaders. So in Jerusalem at this time, the Jews there are outraged at the events that happened in Caesarea, but they keep their peace. You know, they keep their cool until Florus removed 17 talents from the sacred treasure. Then they went ballistic. Mm. So they were outraged, but they didn't do a whole lot. So this Florus comes and he takes 17 talents from, from God's temple. And he claims that Caesar wanted them. So this dude is just nothing more than a, a robber. Mm-hmm. He's a crook, man. So then they went to the temple and they, they're calling, they're asking the people, let's call on Caesar for assistance and reproaching Flores. And some even carried baskets through the crowd as if collecting money for a destitute person in order to shame this Flores guy. So instead of going to Caesarea to restore peace, right, as he should have, this Flores character marches on Jerusalem with a Roman army. And the people of Jerusalem, hoping to shame him, they go out to meet him, you know, with the army with all courtesy, and they plan to acclaim Flores and play the part of submissive subjects. But this Flores guy, he's smarter. See, he's smarter than all these people because he's, he's demon-possessed. So Flores says he sends a, 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 a centurion, a guy named Capito, ahead of him with 50 soldiers. And here's what he tells him. He goes, if the Jews... Um, are continuing to pretend to honor me, I want you to tell them to stop their pretending uh, because if they wanted to make fun of me, they should do it to my face, not only with words, but with weapons. Mm. So Capito's horsemen dispersed the crowd before it could shame Flores. And so the very next day, this Flores guy sets up court in the palace and he calls the high priests. Remember, these aren't God's high priests. These high priests for the last 150 years have been chosen by men. The high priesthood, the Levitical priesthood had already ended a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So Flores, he calls the high priest and some of these leaders to the palace and he demands they surrender those who had tried to insult him the day before. So these Jewish leaders apologize for the crowd's actions. You know, they go, you know, look at it's impossible to separate the guilty from the innocent, you know, in such a crowd. We don't know who did it, you know, but look at we're all sorry. So let bygones be bygones, you know. You know, we don't know who did it. <laughs> Things haven't changed, have they? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, they're lying. We don't, you know, we, we can't tell you. So provoked by this, this florist guy calls out to his soldiers and he orders them to go plunder the upper marketplace and kill anyone they meet there. Now, you're, you just kind of hear that and you go, oh, they're plundering. You know, the word doesn't even account to what they did. I mean, they killed men, women, and children. They burnt that place. They stole everything. They totally raised it. It it was incredible. This is just the beginning. So he tells them to go there and kill anybody they see. Go plunder it. Take whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And so these Roman soldiers go there and they did that with, and Josephus says, with such thoroughness and greed. Mm-hmm. Many of the innocent people, these are innocent people that had nothing to do with this rebellion, are captured by the troops. They're whipped and they're crucified. They're crucified. 
on the crosses, people. Just because they're part of the Jewish nation and some of them are revolting. Josephus records the total number of men, women, and children killed in one day was 3,600. And on that day, Floris did what no one had ever done before. And this should sound familiar to you. He ordered Jews serving in the civil service who were legal Roman citizens. He ordered them whipped and crucified. And that act was prohibited by Roman law. Do you remember when Paul was thrown into prison Mm -hmm. and they in the book of Acts and the Roman guards whipped him, mm-hmm. gave him so many lashes and stuff. And then Paul told him, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You think this is lawful? And they freaked out and they, they bandaged him up, cleaned him up, let him and his friends go, let him go out the back door. Please don't tell anybody. They were afraid. Mm-hmm. It was against Roman law to uh, punish and whip, let alone crucify another Roman citizen. So this Floris guy, the beast, I'm gonna call him a beast because that's what he was. Maybe one of the beasts in Revelation. Certainly looks like it. Uh, So he does what has never been done before. You know, and why I said that's gonna sound familiar, remember what happened in Nazi Germany? All the Jews that were working in civil service uh, got the same thing got fired and all the property taken from him and many killed. Mm -hmm. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. Uh, There's a gal named Bernice. Let's talk about her for a little bit. While this is going on, at this time, there's Bernice. Now, this is King Agrippa's sister. King Agrippa is a Jew, right? They call him King Agrippa. He's one of the the rulers of this area. Um, under Rome. Now his sister Bernice was living in Jerusalem and she was performing some vow there that she had made to God. And she had a sacrifice for 30 days. She, she couldn't drink wine and she shaved her head. Mm. That's what Ms. Capel does uh, once a year. (laughs) And she was greatly upset by the actions of the soldiers. And she sent the masters of her house and uh, she sent horse and guards to Flores to beg him to stop the slaughter. And he wouldn't even he wouldn't even listen to her. In fact, she went to Flores herself and stood before him barefooted to ask him to spare the Jews. He didn't pay her any respect. Uh, it says Josephus records that his soldiers would have killed her if she hadn't fled to the palace. Hmm. So that that's what uh, that's what an arse this Flores guy was. He is a huge arse. I mean, he's he's an antichrist, anti God. He's a beast if not the beast. The day after the slaughter, now this is what happens with the Roman troops that slaughtered 3,600 people in the marketplace, innocent people. The day after the slaughter, the crowd gathered at the upper marketplace to mourn their dead mm-hmm. and to accuse Floris. Can you, can you imagine going there and seeing your children? Mm-mm. Just slaughtered, dead? How about your mom, your dad, your wife, your husband? Your brothers and sisters. I mean, what would you do? I mean, when when you talk about a great tribulation, folks, this is a great tribulation. 
You know, I know many people are still waiting for the great tribulation around the whole world. These people went through the great tribulation. This, this is trouble they've had that nothing was seen like it before and nothing will be like it afterwards. When you really read this history, this mm-hmm. is incredible, incredible yeah. tribulation. This is the uh, the day of Jacob's trouble. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, so these guys, you know, this is everything that's been predicted for the Jewish nation by Christ and the prophets. And, and, and it was because, because of the rejection of God. You know, this is, this is, this is, was the results of that. So anyway, these, these people went to mourn their dead and they're, they're going to accuse Floris, but the leaders convinced them to return to their homes to avoid further deaths. They're saying, you know, if you, if you do this, more bad things are just going to happen, you know, or, you know, you're going to be screwed. But Floris wanted the rebellion to continue. He didn't want it to end. You got to remember that because he knew that if he can get them to rebel against Rome, then he would never be caught for his robberies. So he calls the Jewish leaders to him. He, he, he's telling he's telling them the only way they could prove their peaceful intentions was to go greet the two cohorts of soldiers coming in from Caesarea. At the same time, he orders the approaching soldiers not to return the Jews' salutations. See what, he, see what he's doing here? He's telling them, in order to prove you're loyal to me, when I send these soldiers to you, you greet them. But then he tells the soldiers, if they greet you, don't return the, the, the salutations. And if the Jews complain about me, I want you to kill them. Wow. I want you to use your weapons. Is this guy something else? Is this guy a snake or what? So the high priest assembled the crowd in the temple. They appeared before them in mourning, carrying the holy vessels, the ornamental garments, and encouraging the people to greet the Romans politely. So they have all the religious trappings of the temple, but there's no God there, right? There's no spirit of God anymore there. Mm -mm. So if they did so, the priest told them, Floris would have no cause to begin a war with them. So in this way, they quieted the seditious, you know, crowd. They won the crowd over to the point of view. They led them out to greet the approaching soldiers. They showed respect, but the soldiers refused to return their greetings. So some of the, the seditious in the crowd, some of these hot-headed Jew boys, you know, they called out against Flores. And guess what happened? The Romans attacked the crowd as ordered, and they killed many. And they caused a panic that crushed even more people. And so the crowd was pushed through Bezetha as the soldiers forced their way through to take the tower of Antonia and the temple. So this created a big problem. So this made Flores very happy because this is what he wants. He wants a fight. He wants them to rebel. So he keeps doing things to, you know, to, he's pushing their buttons. He's playing chess with them and, and they're, he's playing them like a fiddle. Everything he does, they play right into it. So Floris is eager to take Antonia, that's a fortress there, and the temple's treasure. He wants the money. So he led his soldiers out of the palace, but the crowd turned on them and started throwing darts down at them from the rooftops, forcing the soldiers to retreat to the palace. Now, some of the Jews were afraid that Floris would return and capture the temple, so they climbed to the top of these cloisters that, that adjoined 
the fortress there and he, they knocked him down. And although Flores was eager to capture the temple treasure, he stopped his attempts once the cloisters were destroyed. And he called together the high priest at the Sanhedrin mm. and he told him he was leaving the city but would leave trips behind, troops behind to maintain the peace. And the Sanhedrin and stuff, they said, okay, but we don't want those same Roman soldiers who killed all the people. So Flores says, okay, I'll give you different soldiers. And then he left and he took his army back to Caesarea. So he's still looking for a way to make the Jews rebel. He writes to Cestius, his boss, and he accuses the Jews of revolution against the Roman government. Is this guy a beast or what? Hmm. Wow. So the leaders of Jerusalem and Bernice also sent letters to Cestius about Florus. In order to find out the true facts of the matter, the Cestius guy sends a tribune named Neopolitanus to meet King Agrippa and look into the problem with him. So, you know, you got you got two sets of people, you know, Floris is saying, hey, they're rebelling. And then, of course, they're saying Floris is a beast. Uh, he's just horrible. Okay, so this is, this is important. We're going to get to some spiritual lessons here. This is King Agrippa's speech to the Jews, to the crowd. Right. The crowd asked Agrippa and the high priest for permission to send ambassadors to Nero. They just want to go straight to the emperor and report Florus. And they're not able to do that because they keep keep being told, go through the chain of command, don't do this, don't do that. All the while, this Florus guy wants them to rebel mm. so he can destroy them. Um, so they're not playing with all the knowledge. They're not playing with the, the full deck, you know, that Flores has. So Agrippa thought that would be extremely dangerous. See, here, here's here's all your politicians. Yeah. So he thinks it's extremely dangerous, yet the crowd was in a warlike mood. So he calls them together. He he placed his sister Bernice where they could, they could see her. And then he spoke to him. So they liked Bernice. So here's my sister. Calm down. Blah, blah, blah. So this guy... This guy's, he's a Jew, but he's, you know, he's more concerned about his, his little rulership or everything than doing the right stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So Agrippa asked why the Jews were so eager to go to war against the Roman Empire, you know, to avenge the wrongs they had suffered from one man, Flores, right? Mm -hmm. No, why do you want to go to war with Rome? I mean, just because of one guy? Rome, Rome had not itself hurt you. Why are you mad at Rome? You know what I mean? Yeah. Why do you want to go to war with America if you're just mad at Trump? Or if you're just mad at Obama, why do you want to go to war with the American military? That's that's what he's saying. So he tells him, he goes, Rome didn't even know of Flores' actions. Soon, very soon, there's going to be a new procurator. It's going to be appointed and perhaps their wrongs would be righted. So there's going to be another guy that comes in. Okay, just wait eight years. There's going to be another president. It's all going to be okay. Mm. Right? <laughs> and, and, and then he asked him, he goes, do you, do you seek to regain your liberty? You know? He says, it was too late for that. Once Pompey took Jerusalem, that was in 60 BC when that happened. Once the Roman Pompey took Jerusalem, it was over. And so King Agrippa tells them, far stronger people than you 
have submitted to Roman rule. Once they were defeated, and now they live with very few Roman soldiers in their midst. You know what I'm saying? So what he's telling them is just submit. Just don't make waves. There's going to be another president. There's going to be another procurator. Um, You know, everything's going to be okay. Do you honestly think you're going to rebel against, you know, the U.S. military? Mm. Come on. Now, here's our spiritual lesson here. Because this, this is a Jewish leader. He's King Agrippa. And so he tells them, and this is in quotes from Josephus. He says, you are the only people who think it is a disgrace to be servants to those to whom all the world hath submitted. You are the only people who think it's a disgrace to be servants to those to whom all the world have submitted. Everybody else has submitted to Rome and they're fine, but you're the only people who think that uh, you shouldn't be. Mm. Now, why this is a spiritual lesson, because as a Christian today, don't you hear that? Yeah. You think as a Christian that it's a big disgrace, you know, to submit to a satanic rule. You know, like, like you know, you can't be, you know, it, it, you need to be part of the world. You know, you... you you think you think that you know you're you you're, you're above the world that you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good, you know everybody else is submitted to Satan. Have you turned on TV lately? Have you watched cable? Have you have you listened to music on Spotify? Have you have you watched YouTube? Have you? Well, everybody's submitted to the rule of Satan. Why do you think that you shouldn't? You see the see the lesson here. This this is what some of our Christian leaders are telling us. Just just go with the world. It's about it's about church progress. It's about it's about getting people in, man. Attracting the young people. Let's go to Hillsong. Why should you think it's a disgrace to be part of the world, Hillsong? Let's get Justin Bieber in here. And then. Agrippa continues, he goes, what, what sort of army do you have? You know, where are your arms? Where's your fleet? Where's your, where's your boats? What, what kind of riches would you need to go fight Rome? In other words, how are you going to fight Satan? How are you going to fight the world? Just give in. You know, you live in the world. You got to enjoy these things. King Agrippa says, he tells him, are you richer than the Gauls? Are you stronger than the Germans? Are you wiser than the Greeks? Are you more numerous than all men upon the habitable earth? <laughs> right? <clears throat> now here, this is important for us. This is a spiritual lesson. Because we as Christians, we go to war against Satan because we have Christ. You understand that? Greater is he within us than he that's in the world. That's why we could go to war. That's why we're told not to be part of this world. That's why Miss Kapow, Brother Kapow, back in late 2011, said, let's do a podcast called Kingdom Against the Powers of Wickedness. Mm -hmm. Kapow. Kingdom Against Powers of Wickedness. We're going to raise up this banner and we're going to do everything in our power to fight Satan. We're going to expose evil. We're going to talk about his tactics his work his demons and we're going to try to enlighten people 
and try to get them to go to war. Because it's not us doing it. We have Christ. Mm -hmm. And we do it in Christ. Because we're not abandoned by our God. See, but back in their day, they didn't, they rejected Christ. They didn't have Christ. They rejected God. They didn't have God anymore. So King Agrippa tells them, yes, it's hard to endure slavery. But look how many do. Wow. Folks, have you, have you, have you even heard something like that? As a Christian, how many of your family members? Yeah, it, it's hard to, to live as a Christian. It, it's hard not to, well, to keep smoking and drinking and carousing and partying and, you know, having sex out of marriage. And, you know, it's hard to live, to be a young person and live like that nowadays. But, you know, it, it's, it's hard. You know, look how many people do. You know, it's hard to endure slavery, but... Look how many people do. It's hard to live in this world, but look how many people do. Look at Kim Kardashian. She does it. So King Agrippa says, who would come to their aid in such a war? Everyone in the world was already under Rome's rule. So if you want to hang up your flag and you want to start a podcast and you want to call it kingdom against powers of wickedness, who's going to come to your aid? Paul, Linda, who's going to come? Who's going to help you? Because everybody else has already submitted under Satan's rule. Nobody in the world's going to come and help you. Well, yeah, that's why just not your, your books will never be well known. That's why you're, your music will never be, you know, successful in the world or anything. That's why. Because no one's going to come and help you do that. Because they're they're okay with being a slave under Satan. Many do. So this is what King Agrippa's telling them about Rome. Am I making sense, Ms. Capel? Mm-hmm. I am? Yeah. Okay. So... The, the, he continues and he tells him, he says, the only help they could look for would be divine help. Oh, here you go. But that would be denied them because they would either fight on the Sabbath or be defeated. So in other words, the Jews were still locked down with their traditions and their law because they didn't recognize that Christ came and created a new covenant with his blood. So they knew that they could not do anything on the Sabbath and then they would have to be forced to fight on the Sabbath. Therefore, they'd be defeated. Mm-hmm. So even God couldn't help them. Mm-hmm. But, but Christians, real Christians, biblical Christians today aren't in that predicament because our God does come and help us because we're not bound by the law of Moses whether we're going to fight Satan on a Sabbath or any other day, you see, because we have Christ. That's the difference. But people who are religious, people who are religious, they don't want to fight the war. They don't want to go to, they don't go to, want to go to war with demons. They don't want to fight Satan. They don't want to expose the evil. They just want to live. Hey, you know, it's okay to be a slave. Who's going to come to our aid? It's okay to be a slave. Slave, many do. Everybody is submitted under Rome, Right? 
And King Agrippa says this, and this is in quotes, all men that go to war do it either as depending on divine or on human assistance. Mm -hmm. But since you're going to war, we'll cut off both those assistances. Those that are going to war choose evident destruction. That's the Jewish leader. That's the Jewish king telling him that. And he's right for them. And he was right. They chose war and there was no way they're going to win against the greatest military power in existence of that time. The other thing is, is you got to know when he's saying this, he believes Rome's going to be around forever. It's never going to go away. But the pattern God uses, God uses Babylon, Assyria, Rome. He uses these nations to punish his people. And then once that's done, then he punishes those nations. Some he punishes them because they go too far. So don't think you're sitting here in America taking abuse, you know, living in a satanic system and that this is going to go on forever. It's not. It's not history. History doesn't bear that out. In fact, it's collapsing now as I speak. It's not going to be around. You have to choose the proper side. And the proper side is eternal life. The Jews didn't choose the proper side when Christ was there in the flesh and visited them. They didn't recognize their God. We have to recognize Christ sight unseen by faith. You have to choose the, the proper side or else you're going to end up here on the losing in of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it continues. So if the, if the Jews did go to war, the Romans would not be generous in victory, right? They're not going to be nice. And what King Agrippa is telling them is their cities, their temple, their entire nation would be destroyed as an example. And it was. Furthermore, now check this out. All the Jews living throughout the world would die because of this war. So this wasn't just a localized Jerusalem, Judea thing. This thing was earth-wise. This thing was the whole inhabited earth, the land, okay? So after this speech, King Agrippa urged the people to pay the tribute. They still owed Caesar. Still pay your taxes! And rebuild the cloisters to avoid any appearance of revolution. And here's what he tells him. He goes, for the citadel does not now belong to Florus, nor are you to pay the tribute money to Florus. That's the guy you're mad at. But but your destruction of the citadel has nothing to do with him. That's not his. And, and you still owe Caesar taxes. This is good stuff, right? That's a, that's a good leader, right? That's what, you still got to pay taxes. You're a slave under Rome. Just, just accept it, many do. And the ones who accept it, only they only have very few demons living in them. It's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. You see, you see the spiritual takeaway on that? I hope you do. Um, the people of Jerusalem listened to Agrippa, so they began rebuilding the cloisters. And the unpaid tribute of 40 talents was collected. But when Agrippa tried to convince the crowds to obey Florus until he was replaced, they just relax, man, he's going to be replaced. They cast reproaches on him, Josephus says. And they threw him out of the city and they threw rocks at him. 
because they were angry at being treated so poorly. So this is starting the this is starting the major revolt. So Agrippa sent the Jewish leaders to Florus and Caesarea so he could appoint the country's or the yeah, the country's tax collectors himself and he returned to his own country. So that was the end of that. Now we got the rebellion of Rome. Of Rome. I'm going to take a short commercial break and we'll be right back. How many of you remember the story contained in the book of Acts chapter 19 where there were seven sons of Sceva and they were trying to cast out a demon because they saw the apostle Paul doing great miracles through God. So they tried to do the same thing. So they go to this guy who's demon possessed and they say, we adjure you by this Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Yeah. And guess what the evil spirit did? The evil spirit answered them and said to them, hey, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And guess what? The man that had the demons jumped on him, beat the heck out of him, subdued him, overpowered him, and they literally fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. Guess why? Guess why? Because they did not go to Amazon.com and buy Demons in My Marriage Bed. A true story of spiritual warfare. The book is not about you being married or single. The book is about dealing with demonic forces. And you need to know how to do that today more than you ever have for your own life and for those around you. The book is a training manual and there's training in there that will teach you how not to be the sons of Sceva and get beat up by demons. It will give you the tools for you to be recognized by them because they'll know that you're exercising the authority that is given to you through Christ. You need to get this book. Okay, so let's talk about the rebellion against Rome now. Here's here's what Florus wanted, rebellion. So soon after all this stuff happened, some of the more warlike of the Jews assaulted and took Masada. People, are you aware of the fortress of Masada uh, there in Israel? And so they killed all the Romans that were stationed there and putting their own troops in the fortress. Then at the same time, this guy named Eliezer, he was the temple governor at the time. He was the son of Ananias, the high priest. So this guy, Eliezer, persuaded the priests not to accept gifts or sacrifices from non-Jews. And they rejected the sacrifice of Caesar. Even though the high priest said that much of the temple itself came from the donations of non-Jews and no one's sacrifice had ever been refused before. Wow. See what's happening? Realizing they couldn't stop the impending revolt and knowing they would be the first to be punished for it, the high priest and leader sent ambassadors to Florus and Agrippa. Simon, the son of Ananias, led the delegation to Florus. Saul, Antipas, and Costabarus led to the one uh, to Agrippa. Both men were asked to bring their armies into Jerusalem and put down the sedition before it became impossible to stop. So these Jews, these priests are going to Florus, the bad guy, and to Agrippa, the goofy king, and going, you need to send armies here to kill our, you know, stop these people because uh, they're going to rebel and we're all going to die. But rebellion 
was exactly what Flores wanted. So this rebellion is exactly what he wanted. So he sends his ambassadors away without an answer. Agrippa, however, was anxious to save the Jews for the Romans. He wanted to save Jerusalem for the Jews. So he sends 3,000 horsemen uh, to Jerusalem. And the high priest and the Jewish leaders and the king's soldiers and all the citizens against the revolt, they then seized the upper city. So now there's a division here. They, it's, it's these, these citizens, these other Jews are going, we're against you for revolting. And they seize the upper city. But the rebels, that's what they're called, the ones that want to revolt, the rebels take the lower city and the temple. And war continued between the two groups for seven days, neither willing to give up any of its territory. So you see how they're fighting each other here? And on the eighth day was the festival of xylophory. <laughs> what, what is that, right? That's when everyone brings wood to the temple for the perpetual altar fire. So those who held the temple prevented the others from observing the festival. And then the rebels were joined by many of the Sakari. Those were the assassins. Mm. And which gave them the strength to drive the king's soldiers out of the upper city. And the house of Ananias, the high priest, and the castles of Bernice and Agrippa were burned along with the public archives containing the records of all debts. Now, remember when um, there's some scripture there in, um, in our word that says that these captains and these, these high-ranking men and everybody would go into the uh, caves of the earth. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would hide. Yeah. Well, Josephus records that some of the men of power and high priests fled to underground vaults for safety. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Others to the upper palace with the soldiers. And then on the following day, the rebels attacked Antonia. That's the fortress. Besieging the garrison there for two days. And then they took it. And they killed the soldiers there. Those are Roman soldiers they killed. They set fire to the garrison. They attacked the upper palace and they, they're, everybody's in war. So this is now the Jewish war. This is now really the, the very um, beginning of the very end, you know, because within a few, you know, two years, two and a half years, total destruction happens. But this is how it started. This Flores guy wanted this to happen. Um, and, and you have cool heads uh, fighting against hotheads and the hotheads are prevailing and you know and for good reason you know they're they're really getting a, a raw deal here but yeah they're they're fighting a the power they're just not going to be able to win so now in the meantime there's this guy named Manahim he's from Galilee he's the son of Judas he took some men he broke open Herod's armory at Masada he took all the the weapons he arms his people he arms some other robbers he goes back to Jerusalem he takes over as a rebel's leader. Um, they undermine one of the palace's towers. They burn it until it collapses. And then they find his defenders had built a second fortification beyond the tower. Hmm. And then uh, the defenders wanted to surrender. So Manaheim accepted the surrender of the king's soldiers and Jewish citizens, but not of the Romans. The remaining Romans fled to the royal towers and... Um, this Manaheim guy killed many of them before they could reach safety. 
So the next day, Ananias, the high priest, was captured in an aqueduct and killed, mm. along with his brother Hezekiah. And Manaheim, encouraged by his victories, became so cruel that Eliezer and his men turned against him, attacking them in the temple with the help of many of the people. A few of Manaheim's band fled to Masada, but Manaheim was captured. He was publicly tortured and killed. And this is going on on the streets of Jerusalem, folks, and in the temple. Sounds very violent, huh? Oh, yeah. So this is what I'm talking about. This is great tribulation. This isn't, you know, this isn't like, oh, later on, you know, the Antichrist is going to come and we're going to go through great tribulation. And, you know, I may pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. I mean, folks, I mean, this is great tribulation. This is Jacob's trouble, man. Jacob's trouble, not America's trouble. This is this is nothing nothing that ever occurred like this to this extent. This is incredible. I mean, I'm not even. Oh my gosh! I mean, through all these people have died. Um, there's a guy, a Roman general named Matilius. Matilius. So this guy asked Eliezer's permission to surrender, saying they would give him all they had in return for their lives. Mm. These are Roman soldiers, a Roman general. So several Jews were sent to pledge the safety of the soldiers who came out. They laid down their arms and prepared to leave in peace. And once they were disarmed, Eliezer had all of them brutally murdered, except Matilius, who promised to become a Jew and was spared. <laughs> and this murder, check this out, occurred on the Sabbath, which filled the city's citizens with sadness and despair. Mm. So they knew... They knew this is murder occurred on the Sabbath, God's holy day, which they for millennial, millennia had observed with great, great, you know, respect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is the attack on the Syrians. This is go. see, this is, this is, this is uh, earth wide. This is all the, you know, inhabitable earth around there. This is what's going on. On the same day and hour that the surrendering Roman soldiers were being slaughtered by the Jerusalem rebels, Florus and the people of Caesarea were attacking the Jewish population of that city, and they killed over 20,000 Jews in one hour. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know what the math is, <laughs> how many Jews per minute that is. 20,000 in one hour. And they sent the survivors into slavery. And by the end of the day, not one Jew remained. You can't tell me that's not a great tribulation. You can't tell me that's not Jacob's trouble. That's a great tribulation yep. in those days. The total destruction enraged the whole Jewish nation. They divided themselves into several parties. They destroyed Syrian villages and the cities of Philadelphia, Sabonitis, Garashia, Pella, Sethopolis, Gadara, Hippos, turning on Galantis. They destroyed and burned cities there and a bunch of other cities. They attacked everything. Mm -hmm. Neither Sebais nor Ascalon was able to withstand their attack. When those cities were burned to the ground, they entirely demolished Anthedon and Gaza and the villages around them. The Syrians killed as many Jews as they lost themselves until every Syrian city was divided into two opposing camps and the safety of one party lay only in the destruction of the other. The days were spent in fighting and the nights in fear 
For if the Syrians destroyed the Jews, they worried about the Jewish sympathizers who remained. Neither side wanted to kill innocent people, so both lived in fear whenever they mingled with the crowds. Now, greed increased the bloodshed. Since those killed were plundered and those collecting the most booty were the most honored. Mm. Wow. It's common to see cities filled with the unburied bodies of old men, women, and children. That's great tribulation. When you see cities filled with unburied bodies, that's not good. No. So, so far the conflict had been between Jewish rebels and Syrians. But at Scythopolis, some local Jews fought against their brothers. That's Mark 13, Ms. Kapow. Mm -hmm. Indeed, they fought so willingly that the Syrians of Scythopolis suspected them and feared they would turn on them in the night. So to prove their loyalty, these Jews were told to take their families out of the city and camp in a nearby grove. And they did for two days. But on the third night, the people of Scythopolis attacked and they killed 13,000 of them. 13,000 Jews were killed and these Jews were Jews killing other Jews, their brothers. Wow. Mm. Wow. Uh, Mark 13, chapter, uh, thir yeah, 13, chapter 11, verse 12 says, Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Mm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So there's this dude. He's a bad actor, man. His name is Simon. Simon the Jew. He's one of the Jews of Scythopolis. And he fought against the attacking Jews. So here's Jew against Jew. And he was a man named Simon, the son of Saul. And um, Josephus says he was extremely strong. He was a bold man who fought so well that he was in great measure responsible for the success of the city's defenders. But he was punished for the Jews that he killed. Yeah. For when the people of the city attacked the Jews in the grove, he saw he was doomed and did not attempt to fight back. He instead, he called out, that he deserved to die for fighting his brothers and he would kill himself so no one could boast of his death. Then he killed his whole family one by one, all of whom seemed to prefer to die by his hands than those of the enemy. And so what he does, is he stands on the bodies of his dead family members so everybody could see him and then he drives his own sword into his body, killing himself. That's pretty heavy. Jesus says, brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. This is the whole habitable world. So in addition to Scythopolis, there's other cities turned against their Jewish citizens. So it's all going crazy. It's now the Jews are rebelling against Rome and now these other cities and areas are now uh, turning against anything Jewish. 2,500 were killed in Ascalon. 2,500 Jews were killed in Ascalon. The city of uh, Ptolemaeus killed 2,000 and enslaved many. Tyre killed a great number, imprisoning even more. Hippos 
Gadara and the other Syrian cities killed the boldest of the Jews living there and imprisoned the rest. Only the Antiochians, the Sidonians, and the Apameans spared the local Jews and refused to imprison them, perhaps because the Jewish population was small in those cities. More than likely, they saw no reason to kill peaceful citizens. The garrisons also spared their Jews, escorting those who wished to leave safely to their borders. That's a great tribulation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Agrippa's kingdom was what was going on with Agrippa's kingdom at the time. He was at Antioch with Cestius, remember? Festus's boss, when the revolt began. So the revolts already happened. We're already in war. Uh, so he leaves this guy named uh, Norris in charge of the public affairs of his kingdom. 70 of the most prominent men in Batanea went to Norris when the fighting began and asked him for troops to protect their territories. And so without Agrippa's consent, this guy Norris sent his soldiers out in the night to kill the 70 petitioners. And so when Agrippa heard how cruelly this guy was treating his kingdom, he immediately took away his procuratorship. Hmm. Now the rebels took the citadel above Jericho. Uh, They cut the throats of its defenders. They demolished the fortifications. Another group persuaded the Roman soldiers uh, to surrender the fort in exchange for their lives. And in Alexandria, now this is a good piece of history here. The Greeks of Alexandria had been persecuting the Jews ever since Alexander the Great. Hmm. Yeah, Alexander the Great had given Jews equal privileges with the Greeks in return for their help against the Egyptians. And so the Jews of Alexandria had lived by themselves in a separate section of the city to avoid being polluted by the Greeks. And although the persecutions were always punished by the governors, they never ceased. (laughs) Yeah. So now that the war broke out in other countries, the relations between the Jews and the Greeks and Alexandria became more strained, and then violence broke out between them. Tiberius Alexander, the governor of the city, he couldn't restore order without the force, using force. So he sent out two Roman legions and 5,000 additional troops. Mm-mm. He gives them orders to kill the Jews and plunder their possessions. <clears throat> the soldiers attacked the Delta, which was the Jewish section of town. At first, the Jews were able to hold off the troops, but once they were forced to fall back, the Romans killed them unmercifully. Check this out. In the end, 50,000 Alexandrian Jews were killed mm. before Alexander called off the troops. Wow. <clears throat> That's a great tribulation. That's a great tribulation. All right. I am almost an hour into the show. I just got a few more. So we might have to go a little over. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm not boring everybody to death. Cestius. Cestius, the president of Syria. Remember, this is Forrest's boss. He decided it was time to act. You think? So he assembles the 12th Legion from Antioch, 2,000 other troops. He gets all these troops going. I mean, 2,000 horsemen, 3,000 footmen, 3,000 archers. He's, 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 get, he's getting 3,000 footmen from Agrippa, 1,000 horsemen all over the place. You, you get it. A huge army. Huge army. In addition, the free city sent troops that were not trained but fiercely hated the Jews. Wow. Mm. So Agrippa accompanied Cestius as a guide and director of what was fit to be done. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Taking some of his forces, Cestius marched to Zabalon, a strong Galilean city called the City of Men. And it divided the country of Ptolemaeus from Judea. Now, now, Ms. Kapow, mm-hmm. when in Mark here, Jesus says it in Mark and Matthew, Luke, he says, uh, Jesus says in verse 14 of Mark uh, chapter 13, he says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand then those things that are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Uh, and we know that. We know that that's the armies. When you see the armies surrounding, like Luke says, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, get out. And then in verse 15, it says, the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. Mm-hmm. And the one who's in the field must not turn back to get his coat. Right? Right. That's what Jesus says, get out. So here's what history says. History says the citizens of Zabalun had already fled to the mountains, leaving their possessions behind. Mm. Whoa. Hmm. So when they got there with all these soldiers, they had already gotten out and they didn't take anything with them. Wow. So Cessius gave his troops permission to plunder and fire the city. And after this, he plundered and burned the whole area before returning to uh, Ptolemaeus. As soon as Cestius left, the Jews attacked the remaining Syrians in the area, and they killed about 2,000 of them. Wow. So Cestius moved his army to Caesarea, sending part of it ahead to Joppa. He instructed those soldiers to take Joppa by surprise if they could, but wait for if they were discovered. And uh, so he ends up killing, easily killing 8,400. Yeah, and they burned all kinds of villages there. Mm-mm. So there's all kinds of wars going on. There's Galilean cities being destroyed. Rebels uh, <clears throat> are all over the place attacking Jews. About 200 Romans were lost because the rebels controlled the high ground. And Romans soon outflanked them and killed over 2,000 rebels. Mm-hmm. Seeing no more signs of revolt in Galilee, uh, Gallus returned to Caesarea. <clears throat> now during all of this in Jerusalem... We have Cestius. So he begins to march on Jerusalem, dispersing some rebels along the way. Most of the men of Lydda had left the city to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Cestius killed 50 of those left behind, burned the city, pitched camp at uh, Gabao, about six miles from Jerusalem. And even though it was a Sabbath, when the rebels of Jerusalem saw Cestius was approaching, they left the feast took up arms and fell on the Romans with such strength that the ranks were broken and many of them killed. Cessius' hmm. whole army would have been destroyed if his reserves had not returned to support the ranks. The Romans lost about 515 men, the Jews about 22. Among the Jewish dead were uh, some relatives of the king and some other high-ranking guys. And when the front of the Jewish army was cut off, they retired to Jerusalem, but Simon, the son of Giora, attacked the back of the Romans as they climbed uh, Bethoron, carrying off many of their pack animals and leading them back to town. Hmm. So Cessius stayed at uh, Bethoron for three days, giving the Jews time to take the high parts of Jerusalem, set watches at the city's gates and occupied the hills outside of town around the Roman army. So this is amazing because uh, 
this guy kind of like made mistake after mistake in this deal. Seeing that the Roman army was in danger, Agrippa sent uh, some other guys that were also known to the Jews to encourage the crowd on the hills outside the city to cease fighting. Hmm. He promised that Cessius would forgive any who joined him to prevent the crowd from deserting them. The rebels killed the, uh, the two guys, the two witnesses, Phoebus and wounded Borsius. Yeah. The crowd uh, was outraged at this attack on the ambassadors and beat the rebels with stones and clubs, driving them back into the city. This is just a mess. So Cessius, he sees this, this, this disorder of the Jews. He attacks with his whole army. He drives everyone back into town. And then he pitched camp on a hill called Scopus. 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 Just near Jerusalem. And he refrained from attacking for three days, hoping some of those inside would surrender. But in the meantime, he sent soldiers out to seize wheat from neighboring villages. Mm-hmm. And on the fourth day, he assembled his army, brought it to Jerusalem. Now, the crowds at Jerusalem were kept in control by the rebels. But the rebels themselves were frightened by the organization of the Romans and retreated to the walled inner city and temple. Mm -hmm. See, the temple's just totally defiled before it's destroyed. It's totally defiled. There's blood all over the place. Mm. So, Cestius burned this new city called uh, Bazitha and the timber market moved into the upper city and he camped by the uh, royal palace. And it says here, Josephus records, if he had attempted to take the inner city walls at that point, he could have ended the war that day. Oh, It could have ended the, but see, God had other plans. God had predicted no stone would be left unturned. No stone would be left upon another. So there's no way this guy could have ended the Jewish revolt that day. Right. Doesn't matter what man wants, right? Right. The will of God is that's going to take place. Even though it was possible, it it wasn't going to happen. So this guy named uh, Tyrannius Priscus, he's the muster master of the army and a great many officers of the horsemen had been bribed by Flores. And so they convinced Cestius to wait. Wow. So the rebellion could have been put down that day if this dude would have just went in. But Mm. these guys from the army and many officers had been bribed by this beast, Flores. You know why? Because he wanted the Jews to rebel and he wanted to destroy them. Is that amazing? Mm-hmm. To me, he looks like the beast to me. This guy's something else. You know, everybody talks about Nero, how bad Nero was, and he was. But look at this guy. Yeah. But it's so much like Satan, you know? He makes something look good, but his intention is totally bad. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 playing chess. It's just like Satan playing chess. Well, you do this and do this. and Oh, well, okay, well, I'll just be part of the world. And okay, I'll only give you three demons instead of 10, you know. Mm-hmm. But those three are really bad. So while Cestius delayed, Ananus, the son of Jonathan, convinced many of the city's leaders that they should open the gates. Let Cestius in to put down the revolt. We don't want this no more. So when Cestius was informed of the decision... He refused to believe the offer was serious. 
And the rebels discovered the plot. They threw Animus and his followers off the wall and drove them into hiding. Mm. So the Romans attacked the wall for five days without success. And on the sixth day, Cestius attempted to break into the northern quarter of the temple, but the rebels on top of the cloisters had him off. They beat him down. So the Romans then protected themselves by holding their shields. Now here's now we're going to get to the point towards the end here, but here you're going to get to the point where you're going to see, you know, now the Romans are they're 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 done with you. You know, now now you've done it. Mm-hmm. So while this is going on, the Romans protected themselves by holding their shields closely together over their heads in tortoise fashion. It's called testudo. Testudo. Undermined the wall at the same time. They prepared to fire the temple gate. But fearing the city was lost, many of the rebels fled. As they left, the crowds took over the city and made plans to open the gates for Cestius. (laughs) Had Cestius continued the siege a little longer, he would certainly have taken the city. But he didn't know how close victory was or how much support he had inside the walls. So guess what happened? Mm. He recalled his soldiers and retreated without cause. Because God had predicted that no stone would be left upon another. So God wouldn't allow him to go there and put down the rebellion. Mm Mm-hmm. So as soon as the rebels saw Cestius retreat, they regained their courage and they attacked the rear of the Roman army. Cestius camped that night in Scopus. He retreated further the next day, which encouraged the rebels to punish the rear and the flanks of the army all the way. The Romans, thinking a great crowd was chasing them, did not dare turn back and fight those attacking the rear. The rebels attacking the sides of the Roman formation were safe because they were unburdened and fast. The Romans were afraid their ranks would be broken if they had paused to fight back. Any Roman who was separated from the army was slain, including Prescus, the commander of the 6th Legion, Mm. Loginus, the tribune, and Emilius Secundus, the commander of a troop of horsemen. With much difficulty, the Romans reached their camp at Gabal. Now, Cessius stayed at Gabao for two days while the Jews around him grew stronger. You see all the mistakes this guy was making? Mm-hmm. It's almost like divine, you know, divine appointment. Mm-hmm. You know, God wasn't going to let him succeed. Because, um, you know, like Floris wanted a rebellion. God said no stone would be left upon another. Mm-hmm. Woe, woe unto you, Jerusalem, right? right. You didn't recognize your visitation. You killed your God. So Cessius stayed at, uh, you know, Gabal. The Jews got stronger. And on the third day, he decided to escape. And he ordered most of his pack animals killed. And saving only those that carried the army's darts and siege machines. Then he marched down toward Betharun. The Jews tended to leave the army alone when they were in open places. But when they were forced to descend through narrow passages... The rebels would attack from above, almost like guerrilla warfare, mm-hmm. and and from above and from below, and the precipices on either side often prevented the Romans from either fleeing or fighting. And uh, Josephus says that their distress was finally so great that they cried out in despair, and their cries mingling with the joyful cries of the rebels harassing them. 
Wow. So you, you see you see why Rome was so pissed? If night had not fallen and saved the army, it would have been destroyed before reaching Betharun. The rebels took all the places around Betharun and waited for the Romans to come out of their fortifications. Now, Cestius knew he could not simply march his army out in the morning and survive. Now, check. This is what this guy does. This is what this guy does. He takes 400 of his bravest soldiers, or maybe they were the stupidest soldiers, I think there was a stupidest for volunteering or, you know, whatever. But he takes 400 of these bravest soldiers and he places them in the strongest fortifications and he told them to raise their flags in the morning as if the whole army were there. Hmm. And during the night, Cestius then bails. He sneaks out. He takes the um. remainder of his army out of camp and he moves them four miles away. So I bet you anything those 400 bravest soldiers didn't know what was going on. Mm-mm. So these Jewish rebels, they see the camp nearly empty in the morning. And when they see that, they go and they kill those 400 soldiers mm. that were left there. And they pursued Cestius, but he was too far ahead to be caught. So the rebels turned back at uh, Antipartris. They captured a discarded Roman equipment they uh, looted the Roman bodies. Remember, you're not supposed to touch dead bodies, right? That's right. Well, so it's all over with, folks, at this point. The law's all over. There's, it's lawlessness is, you know. Mm. So they're looting dead bodies. They returned joyfully to Jerusalem. And they had lost only a few men. The Romans lost 5,300 footmen and 380 horsemen. Mm. Yeah, so we're going to end there. And um, this is what's going down right before the total destruction, right before Titus comes, you know, and totally destroys that city and leaves no stone upon another. It totally mm-hmm. destroys the, uh, you know, the city of the temple. You know, but what this story kind of reminded me of, too, is, is um, our faith in the word of God, despite of what is going around us. You know, the things that we see, it might look like we're in a, on the losing side or things are not going well or, you know, God's not going to come through. Our faith is not strong enough or, you know, whatever the enemy mm-hmm. or we would think about. But God's word is um, is, is, is our, our, our tower of strength. It's our refuge and it's... Um, it's it's true that we, and it's our anchor that we can stand on and and it really reinforces that the righteous shall live by faith and not by sight yeah absolutely because you see yeah you're right because you do see this and then you see um historically this stuff a lot of it come that came true Mm-hmm. And you go, wow, you know, and then, and then also, you know, in that vein too, Ms. Pat, you see the, the literalness of God's word. Yeah. You know, when, when Christ says, um, <laughs> one who's in a field, don't turn back to get your stuff. Um, when he says, you know, woe that then we're pregnant of those who are mercy, nursing those days. And he says, but pray it may not happen in the winter for those days will be a time of tribulation mm-hmm. such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. Yeah. It's literal. It's literal. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no one would be left. 
But for the elect's sake, he shortened the days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you got to understand, too, at this time, too, there's all kinds of false Christ, messiahs, and all kinds of false prophets coming up, trying to guide those people, saying God's on our side, and we're going to be liberated from Rome. And, and that's what Christ was warning against that, too. Don't listen to them. Don't go where they're at. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, you know, those who um, believed in, in Messiah and took his warnings, they, they got out. Yep. And that just says a lot <clears throat> to us as well. Yeah. About the word of God. Mm-hmm. And the world we live in. Those who uh, take the word of Messiah literally will get out of the world. You get out. You won't. You won't be like King Agrippa. You won't listen to that nonsense. Well, you know everybody's a slave, and it's okay. You know, there's only a few soldiers, only a few demons in your life. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. You know how are you going to fight Satan? You're not going to get success. Mm-hmm. Everybody gonna, else is doing it. Yeah, exactly. Everybody else is doing it. That's basically what, what Agrippa was saying. You know, God can't help you, and no man's going to help you. But we as Christians know that we stand in, in Christ, in Messiah. So our help is divine. Mm-hmm. It's not human. Our yeah. help is not human. You know, um, Oprah's not going to call us and have us, you know, talk about our podcast on her show. Mm-hmm. Neither would we want to. No. You know, but, you know, you don't get my point. The world's not going to help you uh, attack itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Ms. Kapow, I am like an hour and 18 minutes in, and this is a long one. Yes, it is. All right. That's good. All right. Good night. Good night. Ciao, babies.